you're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. This podcast is a mixture of interviews, coaching sessions, and personal development content. You'll hear me chat with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do great things in their life as a result of working through their insecurity. You'll hear brave souls being willing to have a live coaching demonstration recorded where they work through their insecurity. And you'll hear 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver high quality personal development content to help you on your journey. I hope you find it useful. Now on to today's show. Hey folks, it's Jamin Fraser. You're on the Insecurity Project. And I have the great pleasure of interviewing uh, Commando Steve, Steve Willis. Welcome to the show. Hey Jamin, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be a part of the, uh, the Insecurity Project. And, uh, and thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. I have to tell you how I came to reach out to you. Uh, I've got a mate of mine who, uh, every time we sit down in our local coffee shop, there's a there's a sacred spot in the coffee shop called the bench, and uh, you almost end a membership yeah. pass to even sit there. But uh, every time I sit down there with him, he's got ten new ideas for me for my business, and uh, he loves podcasts. He'd heard you interviewed, and he says, "Jamin, man, I see he's the next guy." I'm like, "What? No, no way! He's only got hundred thousand Instagram followers. I don't think he's gonna." You know, reach out, uh, you know, accept my reaching out. <laughs> no, no, just try him. And so I sent you a message. You responded yeah. straight away. I said, yeah, sure. I'm like, holy shit, uh, he's going to come on my show. Uh, you know, and so my, my first intention in reaching out was, you know, yeah. obviously famous through association. You're the, you're the most famous person I've interviewed, uh, which looks good for me, right? But I, I actually I actually listened to some of your interviews and, not yeah. only are you famous, but you're actually a remarkable individual, and and some of the stuff that you have worked through in your own journey just was so beautiful and so in tune with you know my mission in life around helping people overcome insecurity. So yeah. I'm really honoured that you responded to the invitation and and think uh, you know you'll have some wonderful things to share. So thank you again for being willing to share. No, not a problem, and um, I think it's. It's the energy, isn't it, that we put out there and um, I guess when, mm. when we do meaningful work and, and others kind of listen to that or they're a part of it in some way or through, you know, through a friend who, who hears and, and, um, and then you tap in yourself, I think the, message, the messaging or and the message, um, although they might vary slightly, are very important and yeah. the more someone like yourself, myself, and, and others um, relay that message, put it out there, it helps to just kind of balance a lot of the other messages that are floating around in the status quo that are very superficial and, um, you know, they just they just create a lot more fear and unnecessary yeah, sure. angst um, amongst us, you know, human beings. And there's, there's enough of it as it is. So... To, for you to reach out yeah. and um, and ask if I'd be willing. I, I'm, this is what I do, I'm, and this is what yeah, I feel yeah. is important. It's um, it, it goes beyond, you know, a monetary return. You know, and and we said just before we started around expectation. Um, I don't mm. expect anything of this other than you know to just throw around a few ideas, um, mm. which I can then take away some things that we talk about. You take away, and then hopefully the listeners take away. It's not things to be taken maybe so literally but yeah. but potentially pointers in a certain direction and then it's up to the person to then go and investigate for themselves. 
Yep, absolutely. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, do you mind if we dive into the questions? No, let's go for it. Mm, okay. Um, well, I heard you talking about you know key changes in your life happening around 38 years old, which was really interesting to me because um, you know my my ideal client in helping them overcome insecurity is probably 35 to 40. And all my research around deep personal change um, suggests that there's something about that window, which if ever there was a, an easier time to make personal change or a time that's more conducive to lasting change, it's that thing. So I was, I was really fascinated um, that you kind of were in that space as well. Um, but before we get there, like I, as, I, as I love to hear from all my guests, um, love to go all the yeah. way back to the start and particularly the impact your parents had on, on you uh, in terms of what they modelled and taught you about self-esteem and, you know, where you started in life, what it was like for you being a kid growing up in your family in terms of your own belief mm. about yourself. Can, can you tell us a bit about that? You know, like it's my childhood and, and my perspective on, on all of that. Um, it was tough. Um, yeah. I, I, my mother had a lot of um, issues and... Um, I guess there was a lot of suffering for her. She um, was sexually abused by a member within her own family. She, oh, yeah. As she got older, she left um, home. She was born in Barbados in the West Indies. And she made okay. it her way out to Australia. And she, was, she married. And that was quite a violent relationship, which she left. And then she met my father. And I was born. And then they went their separate ways. So I was only really young when um, when my parents split up. We she moved me to the West Indies, so Barbados. I spent a couple of years there, and we came back to Australia. And that's when um, one of my other brothers, Drew or Andrew, was born. And around that time, she met our stepdad, and he um, had had a really really tough upbringing. He was the eldest of eight and his father ruled with an iron fist and he got into a whole lot of trouble in his, um, in his life and he was, he was um, kind of involved with the bikies in northern Queensland, the Malaki, and he had oh, yeah. to leave that because it was kind of you know, life or death scenario and he, yep. he'd been in a relationship and had two kids or he'd been married and had two kids and, and that kind of fell apart real quick and because of what happened with him and his um, his life, he, from the day that he left, he's never seen his two kids. And I think he wore that very heavy. And I, oh, yeah. being a stepchild, the oldest stepchild, and I was very hyperactive and, you know, a lot of, I guess, issues in my life from a youngster that when you're young, you just don't know how to deal with. Um, you, yeah, you, you, you create a lot of issues for those that are already struggling within themselves. And both my parents, my mother and my father, were struggling. And I, I wore that, especially through my stepdad, um, very heavily. Um, there was a lot of discipline. Um, there was a, yeah, the, the guidelines and the structures of life for me were, um, were, were tough. They were challenging. And, not to get hung up on that stuff, but they really shaped me. They shaped me in the sense of um, 
a bit of a, a, a no-nonsense approach to, uh, to life and things, which I then found myself in the Army. Funny that, you know, with the whole energy yeah. and, and just uh, how you perceive things to be. You kind of follow a certain path or things open up to you. But uh, when it comes to the, the self-esteem and, um, and, and the believing in yourself, yeah, I didn't get a lot of that from, uh, from my parents, and I didn't do well at school. I, um, I thought I was stupid, I was dumb, I was always in trouble. I was um, quite hyperactive, but I look back now, and I think a lot of that hyperactivity wasn't hyperactivity as such. It was because I, I was acting out. Like a dog will utilize a whole lot of different behaviors to get attention. Yeah, I was just I was doing things to get attention, and it didn't matter whether it was deemed as good behaviour or bad behaviours. I was just behaving however I could to get attention yeah, because I wasn't attention. getting attention. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. unfortunately, as I got older, that attention, that that behaviour didn't serve me well. So I was getting into trouble a lot of school. I um, I adopted my stepfather's way of being i got angry at everything i remember in shop class shop a i was very good with my hands and building which is the reason i joined the army um to go and do a trade as a builder and i remember the end of year project and my teacher annoyed me and i had this this project that i was making that was going to be assessed to give us the final mark for year 12 and i smashed it in front of him (laughs) I was so, I, wow. I, I, I went beyond anger. I used to see white. Wow. But I didn't know, I didn't know why. And when you're young, you, you, I don't think you have the cognitive function and understanding to question um, who you are. You're still trying to figure out who you are. And I'm being pretty brutal and, and honest here. Gosh, it's even moving me a bit, but... Um, mm. This is what I've figured out as I've gotten older around identity identity and attachment. I kind of embodied my father's or my stepfather's way of being. I just emulated his his what he what I perceived as toughness as a kind of stoic and really strong masculine um, way. I I became that and I uh, went into the army um embracing that and i really pushed myself i didn't i started training in the gym to sidestep here at about 15 and exercise became a really big part of my life outside of team activity in school and things like that i'm talking i would get up early in the morning and i would go for runs i started training in the gym i was if there was I, I really lived the word consistency gosh if, if if i wasn't at school or doing a paper run after school i was at the gym and, and, and just training, training, training all the time. And I had a bit of a motto for every minute, every hour, every day that I do something more than the next person, they'll never make that up on me later in life. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's. Um, and I wrote a book a few years ago, No Excuses, and I spoke about when I left the army and got into CrossFit, how I used to push myself in workouts to try and have an out-of-body experience. Is that right? Oh, yeah. And I, I can't do it anymore because I don't loathe myself. I don't have yeah, that... Yeah, well, um, yeah. Don't need to escape. 
I don't need to escape. That's exactly right. I can stop. I can stop running. But I'm oh, sorry, I digress from that question. But yeah, so my upbringing was quite challenging, and I'm I'm actually very grateful for it. Um, as much as yeah, yeah. there's many out there's many others out there who are exactly the same, and and you know doing something like Survivor, and you know I said on Survivor, um, life is suffering. Or, yeah. um, it within the suffering, within the pain, within the fear, is the gift. But as you just said, the more that we escape into other things or or continue to run, the more we're just running from what will eventually present itself but at what magnitude will it present itself yeah that's a great distinction uh, can i can i just ask you another question around the childhood because you know yep. a lot of the work around helping people deal with insecurity is helping them move from feeling like they're an actor in the story of their life to seeing themselves yep. as the storyteller and yep. and you know because subconsciously we're always asking and answering two questions about every experience. You know, why did that happen and what does it mean about me? And so, um, you know, going through that stuff, that, that tough upbringing as a child, what, do you, what meaning do you think you put on that about you as an individual? Like, how did you make sense of that? As in how I perceive myself? Yeah, I mean... I mean, like, whether we're aware of it or not, I think those questions are being asked and answered and... You know, I love Tony Robbins' take on, on meaning and, and that life isn't about what happens to us, it's about the meaning we place on the things that happen to us. Yeah, so, yes. So I hear people tell me about their childhood and there's a you know, vast range of experiences. Some have wonderful childhoods, some have terrible childhoods, yeah. some have very bland childhoods. And it turns out it's not the experience that shapes them, it's, it's the story they tell about why that experience is happening and what it means about them. So um, I'm just curious around, you know, any awareness you have around what meaning you attach to My, why your life was so hard and why your stepdad was being hard yep, and, and, you know, why your mum was it, struggling and what that meant about you. Um, I guess where I am today and looking back, um, and, and for me and my, my experiences and then how I perceive those experiences... Um, we're all about understand. Was all about understanding that um, that there is a lot of pain, fear, and suffering in this world, and and to go through that firsthand so I can better connect with people with empathy and compassion. Mm. And we we all struggle. It doesn't matter who you are. It, everybody struggles. It's it's it's. We, we're all born with it. it that's, it's what it means to be human. Our ability yes. with, a, with cognitive function and intellect, you know, we, we recognise these things unlike a lot of other animal species. And um, as you just said, then the story that we, we layer on top of that. And yeah. a lot of that is, for me and the work that I've been doing, especially with myself lately, is, um, is letting go of that that attachment or identity to who I think I am or I have been and the and the ways that I create to justify or confirm um, certain feelings, thoughts and emotions. So in, in, in any environment or, um, or predicament, you know, rather than being reactive to it, just taking a step back, you know, having enough space within myself to go, Hang on a second. I have a choice here. Um, 
in the way in which I think about this scenario I, or, or even feel like that, that intuitive feeling that, that you've kind of conditioned um, over your life to uh, kind of respond a certain way to, uh, to things. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I, I, I think it was all my story was, or my life has been, um, has been beautiful as, as challenging and as uh, tumultuous as um, I may have perceived it to have been, it's it's all been for a reason. Yeah, and that's that's remarkable to be able to look back now and reframe it because I think that's that's a big part of the transformation is to reinterpret or, or reimagine the story. Because obviously, you know, when you describe your childhood, you probably didn't have the sense that it was all beautiful then. There was no. anger and not a lot of self belief and. Um, you know, craving attention and acceptance, and and not not knowing that you are good enough. So to get to where you are now, like I'm, I'm always fascinated about how how you did that. Um, I'll ask you a couple of questions about that, surely. Yeah. But just just if you could give us any insights, uh, you know, growing up and into the army, and you know, um, becoming who you are today. Were there times that you look back on where you think the fear of not being good enough or this low self esteem really limited you? Yeah, it's definitely limited me in my um, my interaction in a more meaningful, well, not meaningful, but a deeper way, um, yeah. with more substance and I guess richness um, with other humans. Okay. I can. Uh, it's definitely gotten better, <laughs> even to have a conversation with yourself um, yeah, sure. and, and where we're at right now. But. Um, Yeah, it, it, the, the communication side of things, and, and having just done Survivor, I, I saw that about myself and, and felt that about myself in the in the social setting. And again, a lot of a lot of that upbringing, a lot of time spent in the military, and you know, seeing a real a reality um, vastly different to what the everyday um, citizen or human being experiences. You go into something like that, knowing that. It's not. It's kind of an illusion. It's um, at any point in time we can just pull the pin and 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 the game's over. It, right. It doesn't have to be like the way that it is. But we all kind of choose and um, to continue that journey. But but for me, when you when I would when I'm with other people and I look at a person and I see a person and the way in which they're responding or reacting to their environment and what is presented to them. I try and look at it through a number of layers and, and down to, to behaviours. A lot of the time, people are just very uncomfortable in the environment that they're in. They haven't, the, again, I'll use that word space. There isn't enough space within themselves to kind of just be. And yeah. they, they become very agitated very quickly. And there's the coping mechanisms and the behaviours that they then fall back to and, and what are they? And a lot of us aren't even conscious of what those, those behaviours, habits, coping mechanisms are. And that's, again, me digressing, but, um, yeah. No, it, no, it, it, it's, it's, sorry. But, yeah, but it's my, 
yeah, definitely the whole insecurity side of things um, and in my earlier years and that that lack of self-belief um, was was very limiting in, in, I guess, the thought side of things. Yeah. But the beautiful thing with having been in the military is the military is a lot of action. There's yeah. a lot of reinforcement through pulling up your sleeves and getting the job done. Yep. And and I think when you can quieten your mind, which for me and my experiences again in the army um, happen, you just be. You be that that guy that's got a pack on your back, walking through the bush. Um, Practicing the skills that you've all just spoken about, and the, and the little nuances that you've 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 got to um, almost become, um, and, and the little skill sets. You know, the the guy that's about to jump out of a plane and parachute, um, and do some amphibious work in the in the water to to doing close quarter, you know, combat or battle in confined spaces in a building with. You know, explosives going off around you and, and like distractions, you know, mini fireworks and, you know, engaged targets. You've got your, your, your hostages and your, and your, uh, your hotels and your tangos, your terrace and your, and, um, yeah. being able to do, distinguish between the two so you can neutralize the threat and save the lives of the, uh, of the hostages. You know, all of that type of stuff almost needs an instinct. Rather than an yeah. intellect, you yeah. you you sit around yeah. and you talk about the things that need to be done, and that and the intellect understands that, and cognitively you go, "Got you." But then you take anyone who's who understands that and put them in their first experience into an environment, they fall apart. Hmm. It's not until you take it and you 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 practice it and you practice it, and you practice it, that you then embody what your intellect has taken in. Then you become it. That's, that's really interesting. I, uh, our paths almost followed the same trajectory. In some way, I was uh, going to join the Army at first point out of school and mm-hmm. made a throw. I was, I was going to ADFA to do uh, engineering and uh, made it through all the, all the pre-testing and uh, got done for drugs on the last, the last test after eating a plate of hash cookies at a mate's 18th party, un, unknown to me, <laughs> the week before the test. <laughs> so Sorry, I don't know. Interesting, you know, the, the story I've If you hadn't joined as an officer, if you hadn't joined as an officer, you probably would have gotten through. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting, because the story I've always told myself around that was, was that was actually a, a godsend and a. Um, you know, it really changed the trajectory of my life and, and I think, you know, for the better. But hearing hearing how you've just described some of your experience in the Army um, is really, that's that's quite, I didn't understand that. And I think what you described is part of what has been useful to you by the sound of things because insecurity largely exists as a story. You know, it's not mm. real. Of course we're enough. It's just the fear of yeah. not being good enough, and it becomes this yeah. this paralyzing story that takes on its own life, um, you know. And so, a big part of my work is helping people 
see through that story and get back to the essence of who they are and get out of their mind. Um, so what you're describing is is a lot of the, the discipline and, and action um, that is inbuilt into the practice of being a soldier helped you actually do that work, helped you not overthink things and find out what you're really capable of and prove to yourself that you're stronger than you think and capable of doing all kinds of amazing things by the sound of, by the sound of it. Was, yeah. That sound, yeah. Very much. And, and, and something that just came to me as you were speaking then was in Buddhism, and, and, and we do it in Western society too, community is um, extremely important. Yep. And, you know, the Buddhists call it a sangha. You know, you have right. your sangha where you, you, you lean upon others when you're feeling fragile or, you know, there's burdens in your life that um, carry on your own or almost overwhelming. You share them with your sangha, with your community, and they help to uplift you. And okay. the military is, is very much like that. You, you're rubbing shoulders, and, and, and to be in the special forces, you know, you're a select few. So there's, there's always that in the back of your mind too. It's like, damn, I've made this. I'm here with these guys, and these guys are doing this job. I can do it too. Yeah, and yeah. if they can do that, I can do, I can do that. And you, you help each other through it. And, and yeah. you might not even be talking about it. It's, it might be just a whack on the shoulder or, come on, man. But let's go. Like you, and there's a bit of a phrase in the in the military. It's kind of a worldwide thing, especially when it comes to the selection process. It's called suffer in silence, because everyone <laughs> yeah. is suff- Everyone is suffering, but the, yeah, but sure. as soon as we as soon as we say in a selection process start to talk about it, we if you're not careful, it um it can undermine because it gives birth to something that um probably is erroneous to, to what it is that you're trying to achieve at that given point. You know, afterwards, yeah. you know, past, oh, we've, oh, how many times you sit around and you've had a beer with, with your mates, even in everyday life, and you talk about the things that you've gone through and the, and the hardship. But that's actually yeah. what shapes the experiences. Yeah, for sure. Okay, um, so uh, I agree with what you described around... Um, you know, part of the challenge of insecurity being it, it robs us of deep connection with people because we're so much in our own head and we're so conscious of not coming across silly. And so we kind of isolate ourselves for fear of yeah. being found out as inadequate or lacking. And and part of the work around insecurity means you can then be present and unguarded and have deep connections, which is beautiful. Um, and, and watching you interact with people on Survivor and other shows, you obviously embody that, embody that like you, you come across secure and open, which is really lovely. And it's, it's a real stark contrast contrast to those that are not. Um, so I'm really interested in how... So, you know, 38 was a big year for you, a big turning mm. point, But um, and, and you've unpacked a bit about the discipline of the army and just the idea of taking action and committing yeah. to action and proving to yourself that you are stronger than you think rather than weaker than you think, which is what happens when you just keep thinking about it. So, you know, stop thinking mm. and just go do some stuff and... Yeah, yeah, not yeah. everyone's in the army, obviously, and I, I, I resonate with that. I think so much of my own growth has been doing stuff before I feel ready, just going, yeah. I'm just going to go take some action. I'm going to not wait till it's perfect. I'm going to say yes and work out how later, and invariably I look back at those things and go, that action and that just doing it 
it strengthened me. It it proved to me what I'm really capable of and what I'm worth. So, um, so obviously that's a big part of it. But but what else can you what else can you tell us about how you you gained a level of personal security and comfort in your own being um, that that enabled you to, to overcome insecurity? Yeah, at 33, I competed in the CrossFit Games, so I had a lot going okay. on in my life at that at that those few years. So I left the army at about 29, 30. I started working within the fitness industry, the health and wellness industry. I'm mindful using the word fitness a lot nowadays. I believe yeah. it carries a negative connotation. Um, people, there's a lot of fear attached to it, okay. um, and what it means to be fit. So I, I think just a, a, a more Gentle approaches, health and well-being, and what that looks like. Yeah, okay, yeah. but um, but but that aside, I started working in the industry, uh, working in a gym. I was introduced to CrossFit in my transition out of the military, which I think was a saving grace for me because there was a lot of um, a lot within CrossFit, within the methodology of CrossFit that was. I also. Um, experienced within the military so i was training doing crossfit working in a gym and then i found i was uh i kind of was in the right place at the right time the biggest loser came about so i went from being you know what a lot of people consider as a tier one um operator within the australian special forces to being a trainer kind of still cutting my teeth uh, working on the biggest loser and i what what the biggest loser got and was on the television screens was was a guy fresh out of the army, and, and hence the the mannerisms and the way in which I carried myself. It was very much about the action. There was um, there was very little said. It was just like point in a certain direction. Let's go get yeah. him. And yeah. and poor poor you if you ended up on my team. Not not in a bad way, but like there was a certain. Um, Standard, not expectation, but standard. And we, you know, we draw the line in the sand, and this is what we're going to work towards. This is our, this is our um, objective. These are our intentions, and let's go get them. But um, yeah. And then I, my second daughter was born um, when I was thirty-two, and I, I left working in the gym and opened a CrossFit facility, and. A lot of what was happening online at that point in time was a lot of workouts through the CrossFit um, community and people would post their times for doing these workouts. And my times were very similar to what a lot of the American guys were getting. So wow. the CrossFit Games were born in 2007. And with all the work that I was doing, I managed to do enough training and qualify for the 2009 CrossFit Games. So okay. I found myself in America a week before the the competition with a with an 18 month old child in a place that I'd only ever been to once before just going geez man this this is tough <laughs> and um, I met some fantastic people along the way and over that over that uh, competition period um, I absolutely destroyed myself. Like, I was carried off the arena floor twice. They almost took me to hospital once for, like, heat exhaustion. Oh, wow. And um, over, over how many workouts did we end up doing? Over a, a number of days, it was like eight to ten workouts. It was the last CrossFit Games at Aromas in California. I, I finished fourth in the world. So oh, I, yeah. uh, I um, 
still the highest ranking Aussie to finish in um, at that in that position. There was there was a guy the other year, but he was disqualified unfortunately. And um, but out, off the back of that, I was absolutely physiologically, psychologically, emotionally spent. Yep. I gave every ounce of my being. And a lot of my mates in the army said, geez, mate, what was the difference between competing in the games and doing the military stuff? Yeah. And the military stuff is, it's a pass or a fail. You, okay. you, you've just got to do enough to pass. The CrossFit games, yeah. you're trying to win. Yeah, sure. And um, so you go that extra mile. And again, unlike the military, it's an endurance process. The CrossFit games is short, sharp, and intense and brutal. And, um, and and I compete in the individual side of things. I, I remember between workouts being in an absolute daze. Like, people would <laughs> talk to me, and I wouldn't even be able to string two words together. I was walking around like a zombie. And, again, they just say what the workout was, the next one. And I don't know where I'd conjure the energy or the, the mental fortitude and I'd just go again, and I'd go again, and I'd go again. And I came up in fourth place, and I was stoked with that. Obviously, being human, I wanted to wanted it to have been first, or even in the top three would have been great, but fourth yeah. was awesome. But after that, I realized that that self-loathing, that, 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 that introspection or the way that I would uh, I'd look within and um, utilize a certain amount of aggression and anger to fuel me um, couldn't continue. Yeah, it would. Well, it, I, I, I knew there was something. There was something deep within me that was saying, "If you keep walking this path, it will destroy you." Mm-hmm. And it took me nearly a year because of the intensity of that competition to actually want to train again. Even thinking about training after that and pushing to any level of intensity would make me sick. It's like, you know, when people have bad experiences with alcohol when they're young, they can't yeah. then have that drink drink ever again in life. They just smell it and it makes them want to throw up. Um, well, almost the level of trauma you cause yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about just an immense amount of suffering awakens the consciousness to itself. Mm. Mm. And um, I think I almost had that. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just thought to myself, "What am I doing?" And and I questioned myself. You know, I was still had my gym and my business partner, and we were training people, doing CrossFit and personal training and and the like. And I was still doing the Biggest Loser. And I think again, it just came down to day by day, get up to the alarm clock, go and go and do the work. And over time, a lot of those questions that came to mind were slowly answered. And um, and I realised that I enjoy doing what I do, and I really enjoy helping people. And all of it, again, was to have those experiences so that I could better help people. Yeah, well, uh, one of the key distinctions that I I'm working on at the moment is the difference between self discipline and self permission. Um, mm. You know, it seems like what you've almost described because often self discipline. The way that I am describing it, you know, is based on a presupposition of you have to work against yourself to get ahead. You kind of got to fight yourself to win because there's a 
a bad part of you that needs to be subdued. Um, oh. But it's quite cruel and um, can, <laughs> can lead to trauma, whereas what you've described, the life-giving process is kind of tapping into desire, realising there's something beautiful and inherently good in you that wants to do good and almost um, giving yourself permission to thrive in that area and go where the life is, which is a very different motivation source than you know flogging yourself to death and and as you said, not not at all sustainable. No, that's um, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I recognise that with um, the people that I trained on the Biggest Loser. Okay. You know, just just imagine being a contestant, someone who's let's say 150 to 200 kilos, who feels that their last chance or or, or hope of of being something more or, or different to, to who they've allowed themselves to become um, is to put yourself on a reality television show in front of cameras with with a production crew and trainers, you know, pushing you relative to what you're capable of. Um, yeah. That's so confronting. Yeah. And um, and I I. Uh, Having been in the military, and, and fear is used as a, as a tool to motivate. But um, fear fear has people conforming, but it doesn't change the way in which they think. Say, say that again. Fear has people conform. Yeah. But it doesn't change the way in which they think. Yeah, right. So I, I could, yeah, I could okay. point the finger. I could point the finger and say, "Do this, do that." But will they continue to do that when I turn my back and walk away? Probably yeah, not. No, no, no. And um, so I recognised that you needed to have conversations and you had to, you had to give birth to or, or give reason for and, they, and that reason had to sit with them. It had to be their own reason for yeah, wanting yeah. change. And, yeah, and, yeah. For every, and for everyone, it's different relative to where they are in life and, and that journey. And that's what I found with the contestants over the years that I had, the people that I had on The Biggest Loser, was having those conversations and their willingness to put in in the session far exceeded a lot of um, the other teams. Yeah, right. And, and when you looking back that now, in, Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. When you... when you, you Well, you get... It, it's, it's self-actualizing. You're getting them yeah. to do yeah. all the work. It's Because they come there thinking... I'm just going to stand next to a trainer and be on a show, and it's all miraculously going to change. <laughs> it's mm. that's that's just continuing the delusion, isn't it? It's thinking anything, everything outside of yourself is is the solution. When you've you've, you've got yeah. to have the introspection, you've got to look within and 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 recognise that for any level of change, it's it's got to happen within yourself. But you. Yeah, you've got so to provide. Right. You've got to provide an environment where there's enough space um, that people feel safe enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say um, what you just described was kind of embedded in me from my dad when I was ten or twelve in the shearing shed. Like we grew up in collector um, mm-hmm. sheep farmers. My dad was a wool classer, and one day he asked me if I thought wool burnt, and and I didn't think it did. Uh, and he, he said, well, watch this, and he'd butt some wool that had freshly been shorn with a mat underneath it, and it caught on fire straight away because it turns yeah. out, you know, lanolin in wool is flammable, but only yeah. when exposed to an external flame. And so 
moment he took the match away, the fire went out, and and he said something which just kind of it's probably a key part of why I'm in coaching now. To be honest, he said like that's what it's like working with people a lot of the time. It looks like they're burning, but it's, but it's all you. And the moment you stop doing what you're doing, the fire goes out. So it's kind of the motivate by fear thing you talked about. Whereas mm. lasting change comes when you facilitate a spark that is catches fire to something internal. They self-actualize, they self-motivate, they tap into their desire, and then you facilitate the space rather than you know being the sole source of the change. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> it's, it always stuck with me. Um, the big, like, one of my five practices in the overcoming insecurity model I use is get help from someone who doesn't care about you. And yep. uh, <laughs> I push that as hard as I can because I think so often uh, people in the help space try and motivate people to change by wanting them to change and by forcing the change or pleading with them to change or... Um, yeah. you know, feeling like they've got to be the change for them. They've got to hold their hand. They've got to pump their tires up. They've got to, they've got to fix them by caring. Um, and yeah. it just, it's all kinds of wrong and motivated beautifully. But I think, you know, what you're describing is going, it has to be your outcome. It has to be your desire. Because if you don't want it, you know, me wanting it for you, that's, it's useless. It, you know, it might get you somewhere short term, but it won't give you any lasting change. So, you know, helping them tap into desire and allow themselves to go into that, you know, always brings about the, the real transformation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, gosh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, well, you just, you have conversations with people and certain trains of thought and, and then, you know, they have, they have similar interpretations to things and you just realize there's just so many different avenues and ways of articulating and, and using yeah. language to um, kind of express the same thing and, yeah, and it just makes so you realize that you almost you don't know anything yeah yeah which which is beautiful in itself because it is you know, beautiful. Yeah. when it comes back to what identifying or attaching to things you, you, you can just let things go and just be well, this is so much about the 35 to 40 window, I think, because 20-year-olds know too much and and 60-year-olds are probably really stuck in their thought, like stuck in their way of doing things. So I think mm. 35 to 40, you're kind of prepared to, to, to accept you don't know a bunch of stuff that you thought you did. There's this yeah. willingness to go, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I don't know. Uh, wow, that's interesting. And I think it's out of, the, out of that position of stepping back and, and going, oh, wow, okay. I'm open now to, to reconsider everything about my life and the way that I've approached life because it's not really getting me where I want to go. So just kind of what you described, it, you know, coming to the, that place of suffering, um, going, well, this is I've given everything and it's taken me out of the game for, for 12 months. Um, I wonder if there's a more sustainable way to, to move forward. Um, so was there any other key things for you in terms of the, the change journey that really made a difference? around that season of life? Yeah, definitely uh, children. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got four beautiful kids. My eldest is uh, actually at university studying psychology and, um, and physiotherapy. And my youngest, Axel, who's almost three, and then uh, Jack, seven, and Ella going on 11. 
they're um, they're also unique but similar at the same time. And and I guess the beauty of you know, seeing them into the world and, and watching them them grow up and the and the challenges that um, you face on a on a daily and weekly basis with um, with them uh, individually, personally, but also collectively, and how you just work through and manage. Um, you manage time. You manage um, yeah. expectations. You manage uh, just their desires. And you know, Brianna, being older now and can drive and, and kind of got a, a life of her own, she's she's kind of spread her wings. But the others with Ella, like dancing and a lot of, she's just, she's a, a female version of me um, when I was younger in the sense of just the physical activity. She's just go, go, go. And then there's the boys and they're starting to come into their own now. Or Jackie's, you know, being seven and school sports and, um, and after school sport and weekend sport and, and little Axel, he's just, he, he, I reckon he's going to end up in, rugby union player or, or on the wrestling <laughs> circuit. But it's a hard nut. Oh, he's just... Yeah, he's, but he's so he's so beautiful at the same time. I really... Yeah. The other day, for example, we're sitting at the dinner table having dinner and he says to Ella sitting next to him, hold my hand, Ella. Daddy, hold my huh. hand. Now, Daddy, hold Jack's hand. Jack, hold Mummy's hand. Mummy, hold oh, Ella's wow. hand. And he just had us all holding hands. We stopped eating and just holding. We, we, we formed this circle around the table. And then Jack says to me, "Oh, look at what the, look at what we've done holding hands. It makes an O. And look at that on the table. It says L. So he started spelling out. And there was tongs, and there's a V. And then he said, "Where's the E for love?" Oh, and I'm wow. like, I'm like, wow, this is my oh. two-year-old's in. This is my two-year-old instigating a hold hand, and then my set, my seven-year-old boy, Jack, yeah, spelling out, spelling it out, like love, yeah. love, and uh. and actually, as you were talking before, I was thinking about emotions and just thinking about my time in the military, and I've had a lot of friends lately that have been suffering a lot, you know, um, either just the things they've experienced in the military on deployment, you know, fighting war, fighting in war, um, to, to you know, accidents that have happened, like another mate of mine who's been in the... We joined together pretty much. We That's where we met. And um, the other week in Townsville, he had a bad parachuting accident. So he's fractured his skull. He's got broken ribs oh. and internal bruising. He's broken his pelvis. He's he snapped his left leg in half. Um, he's in a bad way and if he hadn't had his helmet on they say he probably would have died now this is a guy that's wow. done 10 deployments to Afghanistan with SAS wow. yeah and he's, he's here in Australia doing a training exercise because he's loved for parachuting and he's got a nickname he, he years ago when we uh, were parachuting up on the New South Wales Queensland border he had malfunctions with his main and, and reserve parachute. He, he managed to get enough air in one and land them, but we nicknamed him Two Shoots Coots. <laughs> last name's been Coots. And just just the other week, um, you know, you do enough of any one thing, and, you know, especially when it's kind of walking that fine line, um, yeah. you're lucky to get, get away with not ever having anything serious happen, and something serious yeah. happened to him. 
But other mates where the suffering and just their personal relationships have fallen apart, you know, with their with their loved ones and even their family and their and their kids because I think of this story and this immersion in who this identity, but also the thoughts and the emotions that are born from being a certain way. And it's and I see it in sport and listening in the media around how athletes, once they stop being that athlete, how they uh, how everything just falls apart for them. Yet they had so yeah. much structure and discipline and life was so fantastic. And I, I think a lot of it comes back to that identity and attachment yeah, to yeah. to what was, but also the thought processes which are a form, they're a form of something, but emotion that is born from thought, which can be measured physiologically, you know, or we can actually measure it. Um, yeah. So, so when when you're constantly having to be aggressive and get and, and conjure anger, and there's a collective um, process to that, it's not just you, but there's a group of people doing it. Well, how do you then handle, or probably a better way is your your coping mechanisms. When the pressure's on, how do you cope and deal with things? And I I know firsthand in the mil- from the military, and you, you hear it through the grapevine how. Our guys, when they've taken, there's been disharmony and, and they haven't been getting along. And because they've deployed overseas and done things a certain way for so long, how it, it gets like, it get it becomes very physical and how they resolve their issues. Yeah. And um, because that's just how they think life, the, the, it's a distorted reality. Yeah. Sure. And um, how do you then assimilate people like that back into a, into society? It really raises a lot of challenges for all of us, and especially for those who haven't experienced those types of things, traumas even. Um, yes. And, and, and I just think of all of this off of sitting around a dining table with my children holding hands um, and spelling out the word love. Um, you mentioned the, the term life is suffering which uh, I've, I've heard that phrase uh, frequently throughout my time. I do a lot of reading in the personal development space. I love the, you know, understanding spirituality, and it's a, you know, it's a common phrase. And I've really resisted that notion up until probably two weeks ago when I <clears throat> finally seemed to make sense of it through something that Mark Manson read. I wrote, I don't know if you've, you've read his book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't. We're actually... <laughs> a very very clever book actually and he just says um you know life life is suffering um so a, a better question to ask it rather than how do i stop the suffering is to go well it's all suffering so how do i suffer with purpose so how do mm. i choose the kind of suffering that's going to lead me towards life or, or how do i learn the lessons of this suffering to move towards life uh, rather than how do i get out of suffering because I think, you know, what you've described is people go through suffering all the time, but, but most people, yeah. um, that suffering just pushes them further into dysfunction and pain. And uh, because they don't want that suffering, they don't understand it and they, they don't find a way through it. Uh, but I think that, that to me seems like a really crucial part of the transformation process is to actually use the suffering to drive you deeper into love, deeper into life, deeper into purpose, deeper into finding who you really are, 
deeper into a life that's connected to beauty and meaning and, and purpose. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's really amazing that you, you use that term and, and have given a really interesting description of how that's applied to you. So thank you. No, not a problem. I, 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 and again, you know, I've, I've found myself operating on uh, on a lot of those emotions that uh, are kind of handed down. It's, it's like a relay race. You know, and I thought yeah, right. you know, through my upbringing that that's just the way that I had to be as, as a man. And it's not so much that you put a lot of thought to it. It's, it's how you're kind of shown the ropes. So you, you adopt that way of being. Um, but then through the introspection and looking within um, and, 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 and reading and, and kind of and taking on um, other ways of, of being, you you quickly realise that um, compassion, empathy, kindness, um, great, being, well, I guess, graciousness, and, and the like, and all of those things are um, are an energy source and, and a and a way of being that um, can always it, it, it's sustainable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. I, I think of I was sitting thinking about this exact thing watching um, a game of um, rugby union the other night yeah you know that you can't um, you watch a game they, they all wear out and they have an interchange because yeah. the emotions and, and the and the energy that's required to to play a game of rugby um, it comes in short bursts and it's very intense but it's not sustainable so then there needs to be an interchange or there needs to be something else. Like if, well, you could never have a game of, of, of compassion and, and, and kindness and the like because <laughs> it would never be a game yeah. of football. But you, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Whereas kindness yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, and love and all of those things, they're just, they're so gentle that um, it's, a, it's and, an energy and source that just can, and sustainable. It just continues yeah. to flow. And when you when you can get into that um, and kind of live a life within those energy sources, yeah. as much as there may be suffering and, and, and pain and fear, um, yeah. you also see the beauty within it. And that's the other thing that I've realised as, as, a, as a human is we're not just one thing at any one time. We're a multiple of... There's so many different things going on. I can be hurting about um, something else, but also still see the beauty in the day, in that present moment. Yeah. And I think what that yeah. requires is acceptance. Yeah. Hmm. And where where there's acceptance um, around things, which is very difficult. <laughs> Just acceptance um, of what is. How do you describe what, what is right now in this yeah. present moment in time, rather yeah. than resistance to what is, as yeah. you were just saying, yeah, and that yeah. whole suffering piece, because yeah. that resistance, we're just confirming to ourselves the story that's already in place. And wow. then you start making more waves. You go about manufacturing a lot of the time subconsciously um, scenarios and drama to confirm what you're already thinking or feeling. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, so so meditation, oh, sorry. Yeah. 
yeah, so meditation to just, just sit and be and be with yourself, whether you're feeling calm, whether you're feeling agitated. Um, sit there and just connect with your breath. Just I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. You're doing all of those things. Um, helps you to work on a uh, on a relational build a better relationship with who you are but that's scary stuff because so many of us just escape into things and you know we all point the fingers at the alcoholic or the drug addict or you know the person doing this doing that but we all we're all rambling yeah you know i I like the analogy and i say it a lot because people have a laugh about it you know we see the dog chasing its tail in a circle yeah but the thing is we humans are doing that more than the dog is yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's a form of madness that it keeps good people in patterns that hurt themselves and hurt others. Yeah, yeah. So to just actually be and, and to just calm ourselves and create that space and be more gentle actually helps to provide more space for others to be that as well. Yeah. Because for form and, to take place, and, and for there to be something, there has to be space. And when there's no more space left, what can be? The cup's full. Yeah. So that idea of acceptance rather than resistance, uh, that's so cool. I, I'm reading a surrender experiment at the moment, which is uh, a guy's 30-year journey into life's perfection is how he describes it. But it's kind of that, that very thing. Rather than resisting what is through through living his life based on his own preference and his own fears and his own insecurities to kind of realize that there's this flow of life and energy that's sustaining all that's around him you know he he uses the example of as a cloud floating by and he's going well i didn't make that happen and you didn't make that happen that cloud is doing its thing all on its own and it'll keep doing it before we got here and after we left so you know there's this there's this there's this energy and this life force that's happening all around us and and somehow most people are living out of tune with it, you know, um, mm, resisting mm. life. And, and his experiment was, what if I was to surrender to this and to kind of accept this and trust this? Life is beautiful and kind and loving and generous. And, um, you know, I align my life to it. I wonder if that would take me to a more beautiful place, and a more kind place, a more generous place, a more expansive yeah. place. And, and he lived that wholeheartedly, and it's just really amazing watching what happens. But... You know, it seems to be totally what you're saying and especially relevant to dealing with insecurity because insecurity festers when we resist life around us. I think you know, life is trying to lead us to a place of wholeness and love and, and kindness and and I think the, the way to that place of security is to is to surrender. It's to you know stop resisting the suffering. Uh, and uh, allow ourselves to be connected with that energy all around us and, and find that yeah. place which you're describing. So, you know, it's, it's so so beautiful having conversations around spirituality because, you know, as you started the conversation by saying there's, there's so much message built around fear and concern and, you know, and loss and lack and trouble. And every time you turn on the news, it's kind of the way it's structured Um so to, to be having any kind of conversation, that's the alternative around uh, connecting people to energy and, and life is just a really wonderful thing. So I'm, I'm grateful for this conversation and I'm sure uh, the listeners are too. Um, is, if there is something that you can kind of sum up by, by saying as a uh, maybe a starting point for people or if people are, are kind of ready 
to stop resisting and, and start um, accepting what's life, what life is doing around them, and, and really kind of deal with their fear of not being good enough. Is there any anything that you would say is a is a really important starting point for people? Um, yes, and I'm trying to find the quotes as okay. I talk to you or as you uh, as you as you speak right now. It's a uh, it's a Jack Cornfield quote, I believe. So we do not have to improve ourselves. We just yeah. have to let go of what blocks our heart. Wow. We're good enough already. And you you said it that. before. Yep. It's, yep. And I used an analogy from the military, like in a military thing. It's, it's, it's take off the body armor. Yep. Can so you, we can all you say walk that quote around. again? Yeah, just, so... Just really emphasize it. Yep. We do not have... We, we do not have to improve ourselves. We just have to let go of what blocks our heart. Hmm. And that requires us to kind of accept what is and where we are right now in this present moment. And um, and I think quieten our mind and, and create some space to, uh, to do some investigation. But I think a lot of that is wrapped up in fear because... It's the fear of the unknown, the fear of being some one or something different to what we've identified with for so long. And we would rather perpetuate and continue the cycle of what is the known than step into the unknown. And, um, but that's where the real beauty is. And it, and, and it isn't life. And we've been talking just, now around suffering and uh, an acceptance and resistance but we wouldn't know what either of them are without them being polarities to one another it's yeah, only through yeah. the polarities of, of life that um, we recognise the opposite yeah so that's that's where the gift is that's so cool yeah um, I mean we could we could talk about this stuff we could talk about it yeah, yeah. But that sounds like a it seems like a really beautiful place to leave the conversation uh, and to to give real value for people to to think about how this applies to their life. So uh, I I really am grateful for your time and for for who you are and for sharing your life with us today. So that's um, yeah really really wonderful. Uh, where can people find you online if people want to follow what you're up to these days? Yeah, all my handles um, for social media are at Commando Steve. Facebook okay. and Instagram and the like and uh, our website is commandosteed.com Excellent uh, Again I thank you and uh, we'll leave the call there You've been listening to The Insecurity Project If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity check out the 30 day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp combines high quality frameworks with one-on-one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being good enough and give yourself permission to really flourish in life. For more information, check out jaymanfraser.com.au.